Hello and welcome back to Ranking 76, where we're ranking the heroes and villains of the American West. I'm Eric. And I'm Matt. And we are talking George Armstrong Custer, part one. I love those donuts. And get it? Just kidding. That's custard. I'm kidding. Oh, look at you. I was so lost there. I was going to need an explanation. <laughs> I, I thought of that joke all day at work today. Come on, man. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say you need to fire the writers, but like, <laughs> Ooh, it doesn't get it. It doesn't get any laughs. Huh? I'm sure someone out there laughed a little someone bit. Did. We'll Someone's laugh. there with you. If it like inside of me, I cringed a little bit only because I, when I'm writing a lot of these, I do a lot of dictation. So I like the words, just, I talk and the words appear on the screen and Custer like to turn into custard a lot, but also customer. Oh, weird. Yeah. So Anyway, that's weird. Never thought I would do a part one and two. Never thought we would split up an episode, but uh, there, there's a lot in this guy. So to, it doesn't make sense to either have really tough cuts. He has a, a big history, a, a thick history. He does. You would think he'd have a pretty straightforward story, but he is. He's very interesting. Like he very much has two separate like lives and today we'll we'll talk about the first half of it obviously with uh, his civil war years um and it wasn't what i expected to be honest in a good with way you. or a bad way uh you'll be able to judge that uh i think the idea is that we're gonna drop part one today and then part two on our off week so we can keep uh the schedule going because i do actually have these planned out to line up with anniversaries and so much so um in order to keep that schedule we we have to take advantage of the off week so uh but because we wouldn't actually be finishing him we might do a i don't know after we get done talking about civil warriors maybe do a quick little ranking give him a quick like a a initial ranking and then at the end of part two see what changes and what doesn't change yep Ooh, because what if he ends up being like a good guy or bad guy in the first half and then totally turns it around which I'm assuming is going to happen. There's a story arc that wouldn't. <laughs> I am convinced. After uh, the main the main source that I use uh, was TJ Styles, uh, Custer's Trials. Um, if HBO does not make its miniseries on George Custer, I am going to be furious if that doesn't happen in the next ten years. HBO execs, you're listening, right? You HBO execs that are listening, you better listen up. <laughs> or, or, Reach out to us if you else. want. Eric to help you create a show about Custer. I'd be good. But anyway, um, actually, what's nice about breaking this into two parts, I don't feel like we're on a hypothetical clock because um, I broke it into obviously the two parts are into 10,000 words. One's 5,700 and one is another 450, or something like that. So after talking for that length, uh, I'd feel probably like pressured to just hurry up because I feel like I would be taking everyone's time. So this this kind of benefits everyone, doesn't it? Yeah, it gives us a little leeway to make maybe if it is a little bit longer, gives them a week to get through at least the first half and then digest. Yeah, yeah, digest what went on. I agree, and also it just Before he turns evil. I just and I I feel weird about taking up three hours of someone's time like randomly i don't know why that's a weird fear i have but 
I have a thing where if I look at a long, like a something long, even movies or something, it's over <laughs> two and a half, three hours. I'm like, oh boy, am I going to be able to get this all in one sitting? This better be good. Let me tell right. you, runtime better be worth <laughs> my I mean, time. Take for example, the Batman. I mean, come on, I entirely too long. I loved it too, but I mean, at the end of the day, you're like, come on, I get it. It's the Batman. You, if I didn't have to be at, we went to a nine o'clock showing and we got out obviously at midnight. If I didn't need to be at work at like 5 a.m. the next day, I would have really enjoyed it. Uh, but I was really frustrated that last hour because like, okay, seriously, I'm going to bed in this chair. Well, oh, this is the last thing I'll say about this completely off topic. But if movie theaters wouldn't put 35, 40 minutes of freaking previews on the front, two or three, come on. I'm sorry. Everything else is online. I don't think Let's that's the right decision. <laughs> no, it is totally because at my dad's, they only put like oh, two, three. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hi, Terry. And I mean, why are you putting Downton Abbey on a Sonic movie? I mean, come on. It's a kid's movie. You're throwing a freaking Downton Abbey preview? God. Anyways, I'm, I digress. I'm, Back I'm, to the topic. This is another rant. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Let's talk about Custer, shall we? George Armstrong Custer was born on December 5th, 1839 to a staunchly Jacksonian Democratic family in Michigan. He would never have a lot of money, uh, and most of Custer's childhood he would live in poverty. But at nine years old, he is apprenticed to be a furniture maker. But after three years, we'll call it non-progress. It just quickly ends. With that, Custer has to focus his brain somewhere and he chooses the military, specifically West Point in New York. He does so by writing a letter to his congressman named John Bingham. Now, you can go through the long process of applying, but if you write to your congressman, they can actually give you a full-ride scholarship, kind of, to West Point. And all they have to say is, yes, this, this lad is good. You should let him in. The issue is that Bingham is a Republican. Ooh, and he is a very staunch Democrat. Yes, which or comes from a family of Democrats. His 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 dad is a staunch Jacksonian Democrat. Which right now, Matt and I in college had a college professor named Doctor Volan, and Doctor Volan's presence is tapping me on the shoulder right now, and would like to remind everyone that just because you have a certain political belief today does not mean you would have you would be in the same political party back then. And it then switched, back, right? It swapped. I'll, I'll, yeah. Back in the day, Democrat was essentially meant you were Republican now. Uh, I would say conservative. So try to look. Or I, I mean, I would say yes, conservative views. Yes, conservative. And yes. But also, like, I know if you happen to be conservative, you really need to look at this time period as North versus South. Like, rather than looking at it as political affiliation, it's it honestly is as easy as pro-slavery and anti-slavery during this period, especially during the 1850s. So anti-slavery was Democrat. Nope. Uh, Republican. 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 Yes. So, okay. and actually the Republican party is so new. I had to look it up in the book twice and online because it's like 1855. When Custer writes this letter, the Republican party is founded in 1854. And I had to like, look up, uh, did they even have, national senator or like uh, uh, congressman they did i looked it up so like they're that new republicanism is 
that's new on the house. So when you say Custer was a Jacksonian Democrat, they were for slavery. Oh, you want to pick a fight online, don't you, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just seeing. Because they the live Democratic in Michigan, Party. which is in the north. It is, uh, but it's also out west far enough where there's actually, like, it's not far away from Kansas and Nebraska. It's not, like, really not far from, I guess, not the hints of the south, but yes, it is a northern state. He sympathizes with the southern states eventually. We'll get into that in a second. But I think the easiest way to view it is, yes, most Democrats... I don't even want to say that it's North versus South. It really is rather because you do have Democrats. Okay, So let's take the political parties out of it. It's North and South, North and South. The political parties that don't match up with today's thinking. And even honestly with slavery, none, obviously no party. So I guess let me rephrase the question. Was Custer's family for or against slavery? They were sympathetic towards the Southern cause. We will say that. Okay. They did not. So obviously with that is implied. Uh, did they believe black people were people? Mm, they questioned it. So uh, so let me get this straight. So he wants to go to West Point. Mm-hmm. So he writes his senator who happens to be Republican. Republican. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, you could just write your senator. And if they wrote you back, you got a full ride to West Point. Yeah, I don't think they had like a full range. Like you can't adopt like 12 feet, like 100 people in. But like. Yes, they could. They would. Have you can pick. Play. You essentially had so many people you could put in a year, right? And it was All like right. it was a guaranteed way to get in, is what it was. Um, but whatever was in Custer's letter must have impressed Bingham because he actually says, "Yeah, let's give this kid a go." Which is crossing party lines. Crossing party lines. Looking good. Which we may as well talk about it now. Uh, Custer's luck is absolutely a thing. I thought it was just like funny, haha, whatever. Uh, there are going to be multiple times during this episode and the next episode where you're going to look at it and go, that's not how that should end. Like we're going to set it up and you're going to go, no, 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 no. You have that wrong because if that was anyone else, that would be, that would turn the out to turn South. But I mean, spoiler alert, I think his luck runs out. I mean, we're not giving away too much away. There's a reason we're doing Custer today because we are nearing the anniversary of little Bighorn uh, in June. And it honestly, it's like he flipped a coin a thousand times and like, you know, in that thousand times you're going to land, the coin is going to land on on tails. Yes. It finally landed on tails after like the 20th time. And the, the the tails was actually little bighorn. Now he's very skilled. You're going to like, you're, he is very skilled. It's just, uh, it's not that he's just all luck, but fate, fate really (laughs) was on his side. Fate was on his side, huh? And he was very very aware of fate favoring him. So at West Point, today we view West Point as the premier military academy in the United States. Going back west, or going back then, West Point was more of a working class school. Most elite families won't actually send their schools off to war for some reason. Instead, they'll opt to send them to be a lawyer, a businessman, so on and so forth. Huh, funny how that still rings true today. Hey. Anyways. (laughs) You know, coming in hot with all these political statements. <laughs> oh, funny. Those who did go to West Point uh, were more blue collar, 
most of them had very little education and West Point was probably the best education they could possibly hope to get because during academic days, they would spend 10 hours in a classroom all day, which sounds absolutely horrible. Jesus wept. That sounds terrible. They would learn to read, write, study chemistry, and even learn French and Spanish as well as obviously the strategies of warfare. Wait, hold on. So not, they were learning all these sophisticated topics and reading and writing. Eventually. Sound it out for me. Sound it out for me. The, 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 t, t, the, okay. The, okay. Yep. All right. Now mix these two chemicals together and tell me what compound it is. Like what? What, what is the periodic table other than a bunch of random letters? I mean, am right. I, am I, yeah. <laughs> you can just, throw, no one knows what FL is. I mean, come on. You can just throw any combination of those elements into whatever you want and it's going to turn out fine. No. Yep. Just, just <laughs> go ahead and do it. If there's any chemists here, I think we just lost them or they're yelling at the radio. Caution kids at home. Do not just mix any random chemicals together. Please do not. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't even pick that up. I was leaning towards like they're teaching them French and Spanish, which obviously like the French, Amer the Spanish American or the Me the war with Mexico just happened like a decade ago. But like in France, uh, Napoleon is hasn't been dead for all that long. He's still within living memory. But I like the idea of reading and writing and then having them to roll their R's and then transfer it into French like all at once. Like, And then this very southern accent trying to do all of it. I would love it. I would that love would sitting in that room. It so hard to yes. learn just sitting in the classroom all day every day with just just information it's just it had to have been information overload just sitting there just blah, 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 regurgitated like mouth after a while it's just mouth vomit right just yes like, huh, i just want to go home yes the charlie brown wah, 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 wah. and i'm sure it was probably like well they were also learning discipline too because that's what that uh they came out of it officers right yes speaking of which Custer, maybe not the best student. He had, according to a friend, that he was, uh, you could be two things. You could be the head of the class or the foot. So essentially, it's Ricky Bobby speak in the 1850s of if you're not first, you're last. Since Custer wasn't going to be first, you may as well be last. last. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and be a bunch of fun. So... He would do things, he would be be a bit of a prankster, that golden-haired boy. Some of his pranks, uh, other than starting food fights, which as someone who runs a food account in uh, for a school district, if anyone starts a food fight, I'm instantly, I hate them. They're the worst. Clean up afterwards, okay? It might be fun in games for, what, five minutes, but then you have people that weren't even a part of it that have to come in. And clean it up. Yep. It's terrible. And that's me. I'm the one that cleans it up. <laughs> anyway, he would then, this one made me laugh. He would knock the support leg in tents so that the, it would collapse on cadets sleeping inside. <laughs> oh my, I'd be so mad because they probably don't get a lot of sleep anyways. <laughs> Just whoop. Uh, during academic days, he would sit behind a red-haired boy, a red-headed boy. And he would mime as if he was a blacksmith tending a fire, like hammering. <laughs> now that's good. I like that one. I like that one. 
I'm of Irish descent and I have a rent tint to my beard. And I even thought that was funny. <laughs> like, it's like, huh, I wish I knew someone that was that ginge. God, he was a prankster then. Yes. Oh, I'm not even done. Uh, in Spanish class, I really enjoyed this section. In Spanish class, he asked the teacher, how do you say class to Smith in Spanish? And when the teacher did so, he stood up and walked out. Yeah, walked out. <laughs> Apparently, the rest of the class did also. Now, now, I don't like some of these. I don't know. Take with a pinch of salt. These seem awfully fun, but I don't. I I do like the thought of of the Spanish teacher just like, oh, man, why didn't I see that coming? <laughs> I wonder if they were just like, yeah, he got me. OK, yeah. I'll allow it. I'll yeah. allow it. <laughs> you know, good. Good on yeah. him. He's clever. Are your are the instructors in the military? Yes, they're officers. I believe so. I maybe I shouldn't answer that definitively, but yeah, you're gonna have a lot of military because they're also learning, like they're also drilling. They're also like learning military strategy, all of that. So yes, you're gonna have military men. Because I'm gonna have to check. I'm gonna have to check. Uh, because even when um I helped out at uh officer school, um it's different. Obviously, West Point's uh way more prestigious, but they had uh lower enlisted non officers that would come in and teach because you know they're the subject matter experts mm-hmm. at certain topics. So I I mean you'd be training to be an officer, but you're learning from the enlisted. Right. So I'm wondering if it's something similar to that. I don't know. I'm gonna have to because I couldn't even tell you what it's like today. Right. Uh, and even that actually leads me into the next, next point. So like, again, Custer isn't a great student. Like he's much rather like, let's have fun with the boys, but do the bare minimum kind of thing. It's, it's clear that he's clever, but he doesn't take himself seriously, which I just went back into every parent teacher conference I've ever had. But, um, essentially there's two big tests like there's one at the end of the, i believe it's at the end of the first year where uh it's basically the weeding out like if you can't get past this you're not going to move on it's a to year two um, right like this is the point of no return like if you pass right. this congratulations if not there's no there's no use for you yep yeah hit the door uh there's a hundred of them going in and just like in squid game uh 69 of them come out of that test Oh, wow. So it had quite a failure rate. Yeah. I also like to think all of them are standing in a room and said, how many fail? How many are there of us left? 69. Nice. Yeah. High all five, right. everyone. All right. <laughs> they, they've turned and made the 70th guy fail on purpose. They, had to get the number. <laughs> they made him erase the name at the top of the page. Like, no, 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 no. Broke no. his pencil. Lead. No, they broke his pencil. Lead, so he couldn't finish the test, no. you know? <laughs> how many failed nice yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, on a second other important test a couple years down the line we're kind of jumping ahead here uh custer uh is screwed he's not going to pass this test he knows he's not going to pass the test pretty much everyone knows he's not going to pass this test so what does he do uh you can probably guess he makes everyone fail no but that would be clever that would i'd like to see the result of that Does he cheat? Yep. And he cheats by breaking into the teacher's office. But as sitting there waiting for him, (laughs) uh, no, it was empty for a short time. But as he hears footsteps, he tears the page out of the book 
and leaves. Oh, jeez. So then obviously the teacher's like, well, this test is getting rewritten. And Custer fails. Uh, Custer and 30 other cadets fail, by the way. So in two tests over a couple of years, uh, two thirds of the class is essentially gone. So out of 139 are grad or yeah, 39 graduate. Uh, close. Custer is able to retake the test a second time. And he fails. <laughs> but then he's called back with no explanation. He just gets to continue. They, they just, just say, come back and yeah. keep learning. Hey, just kidding. Come back. We like you. You're funny. He that called thing with the their bluff. That thing with the redhead kid. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Let's, more, let's do more of that, please. <laughs> we want to see you keep goofing off, bud. Keep it up. <laughs> you're just too funny. Also, your hair. Wonderful. Great hair. Like, we can't miss that. So he failed twice. Was gonna get kicked out, but then they just called him back to continue. Eh, just That's so weird. Just kidding. did they ever? Did they ever tell? Did they ever tell him why? I couldn't find it. Wow, interesting. Yeah, That's anybody of. knows that. Yeah, it's literally unheard of. It's unexplained. <laughs> Coin flip one. All right. A second example of that's not how that should go. Unbelievable. Over four years at West Point. Custer becomes within eight shy of being expelled from demerits. Do you want to guess how many demerits it takes to be eight shy away from expulsion? Take a guess. Uh, this is West Point. Keep in mind, this is West Point, the prestigious college, the military standard of American military men. They don't so take no stuff. The, so being in the military, uh, they probably give you a uh, hundred. For four years? A hundred a year. Okay. Custer leaves the academy with 792 demerits. <laughs> yep, yep. So they give you 200 demerits a year. Supposedly. Now, you can probably explain to me what a demerit is a lot easier, but apparently the legend is Robert E. Lee is the only one to ever graduate. This probably isn't true anymore. But Robert E. Lee, for the longest time, was the only one to graduate without a single demerit. And I'm picturing a lot of nitpicky stuff, plus, you know, hammering the back of a redhead's hair. Well, I was going to say the demerits probably like for anything that you you step out of line, demerit. You don't bring, you forget a textbook, demerit. You're late to class, demerit. It's not just an epic list of he brought a rubber chicken to class. or Right. It's not like he, it's not like it's a... Uh, uh, indescribable offense or anything crazy like that. It was probably a lot of stupid stuff, but 700, that's quite a bit. 792. <laughs> hey, when you're not first, you're last, remember. Well, wouldn't you know it that Custer is about to graduate, but he, there's a kind of a mentorship in, in West Point. Um, the upperclassmen will, uh, I mean, we'll call it mentor, the younger, the, the underclassmen. Mm -hmm. uh, and Custer was in charge of like basically helping them drill. And there was a small skirmish between two of the boys. They get into a fist fight and Custer, the officer about to graduate says, well, he doesn't stop it. He just says, okay, have a fair fight boys. Completely uh, not understanding. This is, I mean, this isn't military order. Is it Georgie boy? This probably isn't how you should be responding. He's court-martialed just before graduation. 
but he's not even an officer yet. Yeah, it's still court martialed. <laughs> this is how this man rolls. <laughs> I mean, how do you even start? What's below the bottom? Uh, gone. <laughs> oh, did he get expelled then? Uh, well, let's get into it, shall we? He, so they hold the court martial, and Custer doesn't. He doesn't deny it happened, but he goes in full sympathy of I. I'm a soldier. This is what soldiers do. We're about to go to war. We're fighting. Uh, please don't do this to me. This close to graduation. And they say tough luck. Well, they say Play. he's guilty because he doesn't deny it. Um, but they decide now let's set the room. Shall we picture like your old, like the judge with the powdered wig and there's George Custer just eating off every single one of his fingernails, like really nervous mm. in front of the court. And you have probably the two cadets in the back, just like with a brown eye, something like that, like black eye. And the guy gets up and goes, George, you're guilty. You know, you're guilty. Now I will read off the punishment. Are you ready? George Armstrong Custer, you will be reprimanded in papers. Okay, everyone, that's a good day. So they just basically write him up? Uh, Yeah, they put something on his permanent record. Oh, no, not his permanent record. Yeah, how, how will he ever come back for it? No, stop. It's too much. But he's allowed to graduate. Uh, he graduates 34th out of this class. Out of 40. Out of 34. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we jumped ahead a little bit there. But uh, yeah, it's he did it. <laughs> he just barely did it. But underneath all of this during the entire time he's at West Point is the buildup to the Civil War. And in fact, when Custer is going into West Point, you're actually able to joke about regional divides. Well, that ends shortly after he begin after he gets into. Remember, Custer is born into a northern state, but he sympathizes with the South. In his eyes, the newly formed Republican Party would discriminate against the South and its way of life, should it gain more national power. And when John Brown attempts his slave revolt in Harper's Ferry, Virginia, that all but confirms it in not only Custer's mind, but essentially the South also. Custer would write, quote, One thing is certain. Democracy, i.e. the Democratic Party, is sure to come out victorious in the next national contest. The victory will be gained by the votes of the conservative masses of the North who hitherto have manifested to interests of the elections who will now be called out by the desire of, to repudiate the reasonable foray of John Brown. Again, if you weren't paying attention, yes, he did use the term the Democratic Party and the conservative masses in the same sentence in the same context. Again, Dr. Volan is kindly reminding me to remind you that the political parties are a little weird at this point. Shout out, Dr. V. I do. I do. I like you. Reach out. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so Custer's can, uh, Custer believes the, the Democrats are going to win the national election. Then Lincoln ruins that by winning. Custer then has to watch as Southern West Point classmates leave as their states begin to secede from the Union. It is no longer rhetoric. And Custer will finally have to decide where his loyalty actually lies. But he ultimately decides the union. That is 
insane to me. These guys you just spent every waking moment with for the last four years. You're best friends with some of them. Oh, hey, see you on the battlefield. I guess I'm going to have to try and kill you now. Right. Well, keep in mind, nobody... I don't think... Well, nobody, except apparently for William Sherman, believe that this war was going to last longer than like 90 days. This is going to be a big blow off, a lot of confronting, and then cooler heads will prevail and we're going to talk. Like, nobody, like did a lot of people think no one was going to die because like, yo, these are my like brethren. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of like pump, like beating your chest together and then like maybe we'll punch each other in the face and then we're going to come back together. Nobody believes the civil war is going to be four years in the most costly war in the United States history. Like nobody sees that coming except for William T. Sherman. Apparently enjoyed saying that. Told you. So, but for Custer, he's made his, he might sympathize with the South, but he's chosen to stay with the union. And on George Washington's birthday, the band starts playing the Star Spangled Banner, Custer is actually leading the cheers for it. The few Southern cadets that remained kind of awkwardly stood there, not knowing exactly what to do. But when it ended, they started playing Dixie themselves. Custer would write on April 10th, 1861, I feel confident that we will have war in less than a week. And if we do, I do. I never expect to graduate here. Neither does any of my classmates, nor the class above me, as we would be ordered to join recruits, etc. This is where the officer and the professors say. So not only, like, the professors are now telling him that he's, they're probably going to war for a bit. Maybe you won't graduate. Which probably explains why he was just reprimanded in his permanent record, essentially. Because, like, we're about to go to war. Why are we going to kick this guy out? Like, we might actually need him. We just trained him for the last four years. Like, we probably could use him. When Fort Sumter is fired upon, northern cadets gather that night and sing the Star Spangled Banner as the southern cadets, again, just stand there kind of realizing, like, I don't know what to do here. They don't sing Dixie, but, like, that had to be the absolute most tense. So... Custer, again, we jumped around a little bit there, but he graduates. Hip, hip. Barely, though. Eight demerits away, court-martialed. <laughs> Passing, failing. Failed the test. test. Failed the test. Like, there's, he, he shouldn't have passed. If we're being completely honest, there was a lot that needed to go right in those four years. With war underway, Custer is given the rank of second lieutenant and is assigned to the United States Cavalry. He takes a train to New York and immediately buys supplies with a saber and a sash. And I don't want to say George Custer wasn't an efficient shopper, but I can picture him looking at sashes for hours, like a real long time. This one hangs too low. This one doesn't have enough frills. Can this one have diamonds on it, please? I just he had to have been unbearable as a 21 year old buying a sash. But after he finds his sash and his uniform, uh, what do you think the first thing he does? Parties. Uh, no, he gets his picture taken. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Because <laughs> we're about Look to go to me, war. Ma. Yeah, we're about to go to war. I need, uh, I need everyone to know. Like uh, the infamous picture where you just stand there looking menacing. Uh, if you, you can look it up, it is a fairly famous picture. He is uh, uh, dazed, we will say. That'll probably be the picture I use for the 
for the graphic on this episode, but he is, he is a complete baby face, just looking all sorts of, if we're being honest, he looks high, but in terms of officers in the army, Custer is one of them, but as he was the last ranked officer in the most recently graduated West Point class, he is literally the least junior of all officers in the military. As far as officers go, you can't be lower than George Custer. <laughs> His orders are to go find Winfield Scott, who at the time is a prominent name, but that's about it. He has an old, his nickname, Old Fuss and Feathers, he got during uh, his military career. He is a War of 1812 veteran. It's 1861. And he's still leading the army. <laughs> <laughs> he is 75 years old, who made his name really in the war against Mexico in 1848. Listen up here, you little... Oh, those, those orders had to just be brilliant. <laughs> We're going to try something we did back in my day, you, you, you youngins. Someone get the trebuchets. <laughs> so Scott, clearly a placeholder at this point. Obviously, nobody expects a 75-year-old man whose nickname is, again, Old Fuss and Feathers, because apparently he was really uh, picky. Uh, they're just waiting. Lincoln would like uh, this guy named Robert E. Lee to, I don't know, call me maybe. But Robert E. Lee obviously chooses the Confederate sides because he can't fight against his own country, meaning Virginia, which is fine. I understand it was a different meaning at that point. It's just interesting, Robert. I don't I don't understand. Anyway, Custer's immediate orders from Scott is basically he's going to be a messenger uh, to battlefields. And after scrambling to find a horse, he rides out that night and he arrives just in time for the first battle of Bull Run or Manassas, if you're in the South. This is the first major conflict in the Civil War where everyone just kind of looks at each other and goes, wait yeah, a second. Yeah, this is this a real, isn't... this is a real fight. Like this is not 90 days. Um, crap. This isn't us just beating our chest and yelling. No, this is a lot of people are going to die. Not that you could tell that to the spectators around Washington, D.C., literally having picnics near the battlefield watching. That's, That's nice. insane. That is a nice little tidbit. Yeah. Where are you taking me on my first date? Well, here, there's a good battle coming up here in the next hour or two we could go watch. Kind of. You're That's not crazy. incorrect. Uh, each army had over 30,000 men. Combatants. They're actually larger than that. The Union ends up limping away in a retreat, meaning it's a Confederate victory. So Custer lost his first battle. Uh, he really wasn't in it. Not that uh, you would tell him that. He would tell anyone that he was in the thick of the fighting and he was the most brave and he was leading men. When TJ Styles actually points out like, not that everyone has a tremendous amount of experience at this point, but they would have known not to listen to that guy. Uh, the guy with the sash, um, literally the least junior officer in the army. <laughs> nice sash, bro. Yeah. They can compare. I do also want to put out, um, 
we are not the Civil War podcast. So obviously we're a bit Civil War today, but we're going to be really be focusing in on Custer. So if you, there are so many great Civil War podcasts, go check them out. They would love a listen, but uh, we're going to be focusing on Custer. Also, uh, military uh, speak is a bit confusing to me. So I think I have the correct titles and the correct generals and all that but if i miss up a title please forgive me i know civil war buffs are uh you're you're a very accurate group aren't you um so just cut me some slack if i screw something up but if i i do screw something up please let me know i do want to get better at it but keep that in mind so after the battle custer has been up for about 30 straight hours and he's so exhausted he sleeps in the rain Upon some rest, he joins Philip Kearney, who is attempting to raise his volunteers. Custer will constantly be looking for a command, like really, 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 really wants this command. He just wants to lead men. An easy way to do that is to also have your military rank, like your official military rank, which is a lieutenant right now. But you can hold a secondary rank as leading volunteers, which typically is much higher. So you can have a much higher volunteer rank than your military rank, obviously. After the war, the volunteer part leaves, but you also get the distinction of knowing like you were holding this title, so it's just an easy way to be promoted later. Yeah, they've held they they took it into account for right. later rank. Right. Real rank. Or I mean I shouldn't say real rank, uh military rank. Right. Um, unfortunately for Custer, he does become sick for a short time. So he does have to take a couple weeks to recover, but it's unsure what he suffers from. But honestly, with as many diseases that affect both armies, like pick one, pick anyone, it doesn't matter. But while Custer's recovering, we get to talk about George McClellan. Custer first meets George McClellan, a man who obviously takes over from Winfield Scott. McClellan. Uh, a bit of an ego on the man. He's brilliant. He's very smart. Uh, Shelby Foote would say the first year of training for the Union troops, uh, they were trained well by McClellan. It's really the reason that they're able to keep fighting and they win the, the, the war eventually is because of McClellan's training. The issue with McClellan is that's about all he does is he just trains. You wake up, you train. You march for a bit and then you train, maybe you eat and then you train some more. When you're not training, uh, McClellan would then just, I don't know, argue with Lincoln over how he's not going to fight because Lincoln and McClellan do not get along to say the least, mainly because McClellan is almost not even he's paranoid over troop counts. Now, I understand as the Union, as the leader of the Army of the Potomac, any loss is going to be a significant morale blow to the country because you are the controlling power in the country, right? You're not two countries, but these rebels, you need to put down the rebellion. If you lose that battle, it's a huge blow politically and just obviously literally as people are actually dying. But McClellan just keeps asking for more recruits. And like there's a there's a couple famous lines from Lincoln to where I believe McClellan said, well, I just need 100,000 more men, which in alone, 
okay, a hundred thousand men. Great. Yeah. Let me just get that for you. But then Lincoln, it's not the first time a clone had asked for it. So Lincoln's like, well, if I give you a hundred thousand, you're just going to ask for another hundred thousand and then half a million. And like, you're never, like nothing will be good enough. Nothing, nothing will be good enough. But the enemy is always outnumbered, which by the way, they're not the North has a significant population uh, advantage versus the South. Like the North should crush the rebels. You can kind of look at it during the revolutionary war. The North is kind of like Britain, not obviously like to the height of military might at that point, but the, the union is the established power. The sub, the Confederates are kind of the American Revolution, the George Washington type, who just need the war to last. Farmers and yeah, yeah. militia. And then finally, because yeah, I don't think you can talk about McClellan and Lincoln without bringing this up. Uh, Lincoln is so frustrated with McClellan that he has supposedly said that if Mister McClellan would doesn't want to use the army, that he, as in Lincoln, would like to use it for a time. <laughs> So Custer, who's 22 right now, would describe his devotion to a 35-year-old McClellan at worship, even at this time. He would say, quote, I have more confidence in him than any other man living. I am willing to forsake everything and follow him to the ends of the earth and lay down my life for him if necessary. He is here now. I wish to see him more. Everyone, officers and privates, worship him. I could fight anyone and would say... That would say anything against him. He got his men behind him, probably because they never fought. So I'd probably like the guy that doesn't want me to send to want me to die. However, he, McClellan can't just sit down forever, Kenny. Like he is the head of an army. There is an active rebellion. He has to do something eventually. What he comes up with is called the Peninsula Campaign. The Peninsula Campaign is the first major offensive. Uh, effort from the union and the ultimate goal is quite simple Uh, we're going to take the confederate capital of richmond and we're going to use the virginia peninsula between the york and the james river that's really it we're going to steamroll in we're going to take everything works great if that's what's going to work now custer after would brag about his courage and fortitude during the war but he doesn't ever seem to grasp the thought that surviving the civil war has nothing to do with how brave you are. It's pure luck. He just believes that he's going to survive. He thinks that he's super brave because he survived it. Essentially. Or like somebody's looking down on him. Look how great I am. Like he just doesn't seem to like, I can't be touched. I can't be touched. Exactly. It's which honestly a good trait to have on the battlefield because like to have to not have that level of fear with you, I think would be very comforting, uh, not to the guy next to me, but like, don't worry, everyone. I'm going to be just fine. Steve, I don't know about you, but for me, I am going to make it. I'm going to survive. And to Custer's credit, he backs it up because with that, uh, we'll call it recklessness, but I guess we can say bravery a few days later. Custer and the army are near Confederates near Williamsburg and they get into a fight that ends up seeing Custer riding on horseback directly to a Confederate captain and is able to actually get 
the captain and five of his men to surrender. He went off on his own and got five men, six men to surrender to him. George, I need this. Okay, just surrender. We'll make it out alive. Please just give this to me. I need this. This That is a thought. Maybe he did just slip him a five because Confederate money is never going to be valuable. So maybe an actual, maybe, if, ooh, this it doesn't exist yet, but what if it was a $5 bill with Lincoln's face on it? <laughs> Look at the future, man. This is the future. This is all I carry. You have to put this. You have to accept this bribe. On May 24th, 1862, and this one just makes me laugh, McClellan is really in pursuit of Confederate General Joseph E. Johnston, and they're trying to cross the Chickahominy River, and they're just kind of having a chin scratch. Custer, who is just like eager, like a dog at a beach wanting to jump in the water, like just picture this. He's like shaking. He's so excited. He's trying to impress McClellan so bad. All Custer needs to hear is a general go, I wonder how deep that water is. And Custer, very much like that same dog at the beach, runs into the water, drums into the middle of it, and shouts, McClellan, that's how deep it is, general. (laughs) The eye rolls had to be unbearable. You can almost see a tidal wave of other privates going, this effing guy. Are you <laughs> kidding me? This guy. This freaking guy. Oh, boy. Well, Custer impresses enough that he's given command to four companies of the Michigan Infantry, and they cross the Chickahominy River, where they see Confederates, and they're so quick to attack that the Confederates essentially just have to give up. Like, oh, crap, the enemy's here? Okay. Uh, Custer not only led the charge, but he was the first to fire. As a result, 50 Confederates are captured. And Custer, if you're looking for a trivia night answer, Custer claims the first Confederate battle flag of the Civil War for the Union. Oh, I got you. I got you. Look what I got. So smug. So smug in that tent that night. I don't think he slept. He walked nah, around. Nah, 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 nah. Look what I got. Do you want to see my flag? Do you see this flag? Do you? Wait, 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 wait. We're not playing capture the flag? Oh, wait, guys. I found the flag. We don't need to play <laughs> anymore. I have the flag. It's right here. Do you want to know how we got this? Did you hear what I did? <laughs> Unbearable. Uh, just he's I, so smug. Uh, just I, smoking five cigars in his mouth. Like... <laughs> mm. but also genuinely impressive like let's let's take apart the part where he uh like a puppy he went into the middle of the river to impress his owner um capturing 50 confederates with a fairly small force and capturing the first confederate battle flag of the war that's pretty good good for him custer gets heaps of praise including by general mckellen who writes to Secretary of War Edwin M. Stanton, quote, a very gallant reconnaissance made by Lieutenants Brown and Custer came upon the Louisiana Tigers, handled them terribly, taking some 50 prisoners and killing and wounding very large numbers. So not only Custer, again, and I can't stress this enough, the least junior officer in the Army, now is known by the leader of the the Army of the Potomac and the Secretary of War, his name just came across his desk. 
So after, if we're being honest, a fairly small battle that Custer's getting huge kudos for, because honestly, the Union could use a morale boost at this point. (laughs) McClellan asked Custer into his tent. And McClellan wrote, quote, I thanked uh, him, as in Custer, for his gallantry, called and asked for what I could do for him. He said that he didn't want anything. He had done nothing and deserved a reward. I then asked if he would like to serve on my personal staff as an aide de camp. He said it would be the best reward he could imagine. So Custer is now an aide de camp to McClellan. Yeah, (laughs) whoever was watching the 10 flaps that was all why is everyone coughing like (laughs) you guys you you got you got a sickness going through camp here (laughs) everyone's coughing around me i don't understand i love that thought action continues for custer on august 5th 1862 when a bugler runs to custer and points out two Confederates that are running. Custer grabs his revolver and rides towards them. He spots the officer, and the officer starts running away. Custer then takes an angle to cut the man off at a fence. They both jump. Custer was, quote, would write of it being, quote, exciting in the extreme. The officer lands on on soft ground and basically falls over. Custer a few feet over lands on firmer ground and now has the advantage where he yells surrender or I will shoot. The Confederate officer ignores it. Custer fired and missed another shot hits the mark and the officer falls dead and Custer takes his horse as a trophy. And this is the first man Custer can definitively know that he is killed without question. And all it took was a bugler saying, look over there. And he hunted down a Confederate officer and took him out. Well, would you look at that? <laughs> Which I he mean, is getting lucky, man. He is just getting lucky. Lucky, but like, it's kind of good. Like, I don't know. Like, there's there's part of me that thinks like, yes, he's getting really lucky. Like, he's so brash. It's like the Confederates are like, nah, there's no way he's trying this. Now that seriously, he's still coming. I think he's actually doing this, guys. I don't have my gun loaded. I I don't know. I give up. I quit. Like I don't know what else to do. Like, please. Stop or that he's so he's so insane. He's got to have something. <laughs> give up. Give up. Look at that yellow hair. We can't. We can only surrender. Like you know what they say about blondes. They only have fun and they'll kill you. <laughs> it was that damn redheaded kid. That's who he was up against. That would be hysterical. I just want to hammer on the back of your head. <laughs> Not custard. No. Oh, nightmares from school, guys. We got to give up. Oh, that poor guy. Crippled Jimmy. with anxiety. Let's call him Jimmy. Poor Jimmy. Yeah. Probably never got over that. Just always looked over his shoulder. Who's hitting me with a hammer? So you will be shocked to know that Lincoln replaces McClellan. But the problem is the replacements, they're not great. In fact, McClellan has to later be reinstated uh, because John Pope loses the second Battle of Bull Run in 1862. And honestly, it's not looking good for the North. At least McClellan puts on a good face. So he's back in there. And I can't imagine how unbearable McClellan must have got to be the, to get that letter. Walking in, big thumbs in the suspenders. 
big walk into Lincoln's office. Hmm. <laughs> Hello, Abraham. <laughs> I picture a lot of dramatic turns. Like he's probably not sitting in a swivel chair, but like a lot of like almost like glamour shots. Like, oh, you need you need a hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just keeps turning around. Oh, what's that? I'm your guy. You, you do need me? Interesting. <laughs> I so didn't I know. Could you say that one more time? Maybe. Oh yeah, that's definitely a, that, that that was definitely a thing. I'm sorry, one more time. Come again? <laughs> me? Me? No, not me. You said, but you said. Oh, oh, but you no, now you're oh, gotcha. I thought you said no way in hell the last time we were here. And yet, I don't know if it's any hotter in here, AB baby, but AB <laughs> baby. Interesting. I thought I had a dream where I was fired, but then I woke up and I'm needed. Weird. Right. Weird how that works out. So, yes, Lincoln has to swallow a lot of pride. What's even best for McClellan is he's chasing Robert E. Lee. And somehow McClellan comes across a letter containing Lee's troop movements. So you remember that thing that McClellan is horrified about troop counts? Well, now he knows that Lee, he not only knows where Lee's troops are, he also knows that they're split. And he has a superior force. Meanwhile, uh, at a uh, southern camp, hey, have you seen that uh, paperwork with all the troop movement? Yeah, it's uh, right... uh... Uh, where did I leave that? Uh, General wants a debriefing. Uh, oh huh. no! <laughs> like I who mean, just leaves that lying around? I mean, come on. I'd like to think that the guy that dropped it had like was drew a very crude rendition of it, <laughs> like just a bunch of little stick figures. <laughs> I have to figure. I have to. I have to give them something. I can't just turn them nothing. Oh, oh god, it's a Crayola. I have only a Crayola. I'm so fired. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to be happy about this. Do you want to know something even more depressing? It's Jimmy. It's the redheaded kid. <laughs> <laughs> he just can't catch a break. Dang it. So. McClellan, let's be honest, he can send a pretty damning war or a pretty damning blow to the Confederates. That information McClellan gets ultimately leads to the Battle of Antietam, which is a Union victory. But considering McClellan had 87,000 men to Lee's 38,000, yes, that is double, more than double, McClellan allows the Confederates to escape only to take, yes, a victory on the day, but he literally could have destroyed the, the entire army. army. He could have taken it. Could have been it. It could have been he it. Had the men. It could have been it. In 1862. The war would have been over. In 1862. He had everything he needed. Also, funny fun fact, I know because he seems to keep popping up in every episode. Uh, Pinkerton, Alan Pinkerton was actually one of the guys giving troop counts to McClellan. They weren't always accurate. Really? Fun little fact. <laughs> they weren't always accurate? They were not accurate, apparently. Just... Um, How many people, do you, I don't know if you know this offhand, but how many, um, how many casualties were there? A lot. Um, we can Google this. 
I didn't look that up because I didn't want to go well, with Jacob Antietam, but right. Uh, I was just curious because I'm trying to think of why he would let them escape, unless they I were mean, seeing like significant more more numbers on the north than the south. Well, obviously because there's more men, but my only thing too was uh, McClellan was kind of scared of battle, wasn't he? Because he always wanted to train. That's what I. That's the feeling I got that he was like scared to go into battle. He didn't want to lose because I think politically it would be because he's ambitious. Not we're not spoiling anything, but and I'll be honest, like I'm I know of the Civil War. I could tell you the highlights. Um, I am actually starting to listen to Shelby Foote's uh, three like it's, I'm, I'm listening on Audible. It's literally 150 hours of the Civil War. So like I'll know a lot in a bit, but um, so maybe I, I shouldn't be answering that pretty uh, convincingly that he wasn't afraid to go to war, but. Um, anyway, your casualty counts uh, for the Union, it was uh, 12,000 total casualties, including only 2,000, not only uh, 2,000 killed, 9,000 wounded. The Confederates had 10,000 casualties, 1,000, 1,500 killed and 7,700 wounded. But I mean, if you go off those numbers, then the North were taking more casualties. Yes, but percentage wise, like 10,000 people, right? that's a full third of Lee's army. Right. Well, percentage rise, right? But I wonder if I wonder if he also thought though that like a lot of Americans are going to be dead if we destroy them. I think you're giving him too much credit. <laughs> I think it was literally. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to chase and lose. Yes, I don't want to lose. We'll just save it for another day. So he would rather take the win today rather than win the war. Okay. So. Um, yeah. So, so everything I'm thinking, I'm just, I'm just in giving him too much credit. What bottom line, he didn't want to look like an idiot. That's how I read it. Yeah. That's probably what it was knowing how big his ego is big, big ego. Um, he's going to end up running for president. Uh, I don't think that's much of a spoiler, but yes, he's going to run for president against Lincoln and he almost wins. Um, Dun, dun, dun. It seems obligated because every, every time somebody brings up this next guy, um, it's there's a mandatory Google search. McClellan is replaced shortly after Antietam. You'll be shocked to know. <laughs> Apparently again? Lincoln was like Lincoln was like, okay, never F it again. Like you here now. White knuckling his desk. I gave you a second time, George. <laughs> and like I also pictured McClellan, same attitude, calling him AB baby the entire time. Like, hey, what's going on? We won. We won at Antietam. You're going to be crawling back to me, AB baby. You're going to be crawling back to me, but I'm not going to do it this time. No, I'm not. <laughs> this is turning into an 1800 or a 1800 hotline. Yeah. If I give out your cell phone number, will you charge people $5 a minute to talk to you? <laughs> oh, don't do that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, he gets replaced by Ambrose Birdside. Uh, you have to Google Ambrose Burnside because it's literally who we get the uh, sideburns from. This is the guy, the originator. No way. Yeah, that's the reaction you need. Behold, the original sideburns. Dun 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 dun! Holy moly! Get <laughs> <laughs> some sideburns. There's some good. Oh, it's, it's it's not Andrew. It's Ambrose. Yes. Did I say Andrew? I was saying Andrew, but holy crap. Oh, yeah. Not They're only worthy. Were they, 
not only are the sideburns awesome, but they like fold into his mustache. Yeah. <laughs> it is one connection. It's glorious, isn't it? It's like a Everyone, reverse goatee. It is a reverse I mean, goatee he's got there. They had better, if you're going to name the sideburns after a guy, they better be some pretty nice sideburns. And they done it. He done what it. What do you call that, Ambrose? Well, sideburns, I suppose. <laughs> that is such an American naming thing. Like, I don't, I don't want it to be so obvious we named it after him. What do we do? Just flip it around. Just flip the. the I call them burn sites. No, no. How about sideburns? <gasps> Do you think somebody just like had his name written down on a sheet of paper and they're like, guys, I have an idea. Rip. And then they just placed it on the opposite side. <laughs> and then like, oh, my God, he's done it, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't get attached to him. We're not going to talk about him much longer, but there's our, there's our size wheel. <laughs> he's, he's also not going to last very long. FYI. So, back to Custer. That was a quite a quite a sidetrack. McClellan being replaced is not great for Custer because being politically attached to McClellan just isn't great. He's kind of toxic at this point. Crap! I've attached myself to a guy that was just fired. I've I have attached myself to a horse with no legs. <laughs> Dwight Schrute. Right. Uh, when he debate he debates his next move. Custer is invited to a party where he meets a lady. Her name, her name is Libby Bacon. Libby is a petite with slender shouldered woman, a striking face and a quick smile, gray eyes, which apparently is a compliment, but that seems horrifying to me having gray eyes, but that's fine. She has abundant, abundant brown hair uh, that she often parted in the middle and then pulled to the back to show some stray curls off the side of her face. She is quite beautiful, according to all of the all of the sources. Custer is instantly smitten with her. So smitten that to TJ Styles, he uh we'll say he tracks her down. Just tracking. It's not stalking. He's just keeping an eye on her. Definitely I, I, not. I, I follow I followed you home. <laughs> Do you want to see this Confederate battle flag I captured? <laughs> he would watch her attend church services. I don't know if he's in the church, but I think he is just hiding behind the the Psalm. Somehow he always seems to be in the right place to walk Libby home from appointments. Just somehow Hmm, weird. However, Libby does talk to him every day. So maybe there's a little bit more smoke to this fire. Uh, Maybe he just beat her down. Who knows? Maybe she was actually crying for help. We don't know. On New Year's Eve, 1863, he admits to her that he loves her and quote, nobody else can entertain me for more than an hour without his feeling lonely and quote, he would sacrifice nearly er- every earthly hope to gain her love and he would accept oh. nothing less than for her to be his wife. Oh, bless my heart. The speech may have done something. Seems like Libby uh, is either playing hard to get or playing uh, go away, please. But they are seen together at the next party a couple days later. And Custer is even seen hold, putting Libby onto a train and touched her elbow. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Hey, this is a G podcast, Eric. You can't be talking like that. He elbowed her. He, he got all deep in that elbow. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm going to have to censor this out. Oh, no, not the elbow. <laughs> elbow joint. <laughs> On Custer, the other hand, you dirty dog, you. I just, ooh. You elbow me so well. Uh, On the other hand, uh, remember when Custer says no one else can entertain me for more than an hour? He found someone else, didn't he? Oh, he flirts with someone else, but it seems like he's, they have a weird relationship. And we're not going to go, we could honestly have an entire episode on just their relationship, but it's uh, for context for this next bit. uh, Will Smith just slapped Chris Rock like a month ago at the Emmys. They, they seem to me to have, yeah, there it is. Uh, What did I say? Emmys. The TV show one, the TV show award show. Oh, that's the difference. Okay. Anyway, uh, Chris, Chris Rock got slapped. They, the, Custer and Libby seem to have a very, I don't want to say toxic relationship, but it's very like, I'm going to make you jealous to make you feel something. And then you're going to make me feel jealous. Like that's, just, they kind of just go back and forth. Um, now we're not on the plane yet, but like, that's just constantly going on with each other. But Libby's also an incredible influence with Custer too. We're going to that into a little bit more detail, but they have just a very weird, interesting relationship uh, that I wanted to talk more about, but there's just, there's so much more to cover. I did kind of leave that there, but if like you a like weird, the they had like though, a weird dynamic. Yeah. It's just like, a, I keep thinking Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith type levels of awkwardness. Like it's just, it's just one of those things where you're like, what, but it works. It works for them, I guess. And like, yeah, for them, it, for them, you think, but like, it's either it works for them or it's just not a healthy relationship at all. So, but it does seem, um, and actually, look, we're not, again, we're not spoiling anything with Custer's death, but even after Custer dies, Libby is really the reason that he is as famous because he becomes the famous martyr that he is because she pumps his name everywhere as this famous martyr and hero of the Civil War. Well, who wouldn't want to be the wife of the of the slain? Yes, she's very smart. Like, bro, she is very smart. Yes, she's very. She knows how to like. I don't want to say manipulate because that sounds like she knows how to play people that she gets the result she wants. Like, she's very, very clever. Uh, the problem is that Libby comes from a prominent family, and Custer doesn't. Uh, also, he may have just met Custer one day and realized I don't want this boy to be my son-in-law but the two are dating and Custer would even have a locket that he would pull out and he would put Libby's picture in it and it would be the and if possible as he's riding into battle he would open up that locket and that might be the last thing he sees I mean so he loved her he did yes it's just again they're very very weird relationship different kind of love yes it's not for me I will say that maybe it worked for them Love life aside, Custer's military career is still kind of in limbo. Still, McClellan, still not a great guy to be attached to. Uh, Custer believes that he has a chance to be given a regiment with the Michigan governor. However, uh, the governor is a Republican. Custer still comes from a Democratic family. Still openly opposes, well, not still, Custer openly opposes the Emancipation Proclamation. 
now there's reasons to do it because you have border states and like uh that might flip to the other side but it is custer does not want to see black people essentially be free is what it comes down to so hold up he is fighting for the north but he opposes basically the north's stance on on the war kind of but it's his country so like yes Right, it's, it's, just, like, it's just weird because he's like fighting for this, but openly opposing it as well. Right. Well, if you also think they have this diluted sense of like, there's a hierarchy, especially in the South of like, regardless of how low you are as a white person, well, at least you're not a black person, right? I mean, at least you're not a slave. So you're always a step above. Well, if they're no longer slaves and God forbid black people and white people can be viewed as equal, it would be chaos. How would we ever survive? Oh, this? So no, no. Like, that's a lot of the thought going on. And also like they keep going back to this thought of slaves are uneducated. They're stupid. They're not be able to, you know, read to do anything that us great white people are able to do. Uh, well, yeah, when you don't educate them and you suppress them for 300 years. Yeah, obviously you're not going to have a lot of outstanding. Anyway, different conversation. We need to put that to the side. Anyway, <laughs> Custer. <laughs> Custer really, really wants his command, but he's honestly, he's just really young. He's 22, 23 at this point. And despite recommendations, including from Ambrose Burnside and Joe Hooker, one of the generals that took over for, for McClellan, they would even use phrases like quote, a young officer of great promise and uncommon merit. And Custer would forward those recommendations to the governor saying, quote, if the governor refuses to appoint me at this point, it will not be because of reasons of lack of recommendations. Essentially, Custer says, everyone else says I'm great, but because if you don't appoint me, it's because you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat. Which, honestly, kind of smart. But he isn't selected to take part of the, uh, the Cavalry Regiment. Instead, Custer is given charge of a company in the U.S. in the 5th U.S. Cavalry. Ambrose Burnside is replaced by Joe Hooker because he's doing just as well as McClellan. Hooker does just as well as Burnside. It's not going well for the Union. Lincoln can't find a general that will A, attack, or uh, not constantly lose. Custer would write to those in the Army about how united the leadership was. However, he would play politics because he was still in contact with McClellan. And if you allow me to paraphrase this letter in one sound... The letters essentially go to <laughs> Georgie. <laughs> the letters would actually say, my dear general, which already I roll. Anyway, my dear general, I know you must be anxious to know how your army is and how it has been doing. We are defeated driven back to on the left bank of the Rappahannock with a loss, which I suppose will exceed our entire loss of battles of the last seven days. You will not be surprised when I inform you that the universal cry is give us McClellan. If I am not mistaken, there will be much howl to go up from the conservative press of the peoples of the North, which I will leave, but not one course open to the administration to pursue. We miss you. Call me back. Beep. Yeah, essentially, McClellan, you up? 
On June 17th, Custer is riding with a man named Alfred Pleasanton who pull towards the Bull Run Mountains when they learn that Brigadier General Kilpatrick has began fighting with the Confederates. Custer arrives just as the Union troops are falling back closely, followed by Confederate cavalry. Custer, who I don't really, I don't believe he's part of Kilpatrick's men, but I couldn't really find it either. Uh, he says that he gets orders to do a counter charge. Custer breaks ahead of the Union lines and goes into enemy cavalry with his saber in hand. So not only he's just going into enemy lines again, so what well. is with him? <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> it's all after one guy. <laughs> it's Jimmy. Also, that's not lost on me. Totalis Rankium fans. I, I think we found our Jeff. It's Jimmy, but like it's, <laughs> we found it. The redheaded child who Custer banged and pantomimed. But anyway, poor Jimmy just keeps getting chased by Custer. One Confederate uh, turned and fired his revolver at Custer. Custer dodges the bullet and swings his saber and almost cuts through the man's arm. This is how close he was. This is close combat as Custer as a madman is riding into battle by himself. If no one will do it, I'll do it. And what is he, Neil from the Matrix dodging bullets? Oh, that's so cool. I like that thought. Can you imagine... That hair in slow motion. <laughs> I'm showing him a picture of like that face in slow motion. And long flowing uh, yes, I can see it. Dang, there's that saber is sharp, man. Cut through a whole arm. Oh, there's also a fair amount of adrenaline. I think there was right. some force behind that saber. So Custer, uh, almost cutting off a man's arm, is now being chased by a singular Confederate uh, soldier. Custer is able to read that he does not have the advantage because he has to turn around to fire uh, at the Confederate behind him. So Custer intentionally slows down his horse, allowing the Confederate to pass. As the enemy passes, they have a sword fight on horseback, which, let's be honest, is really cool. That's cool, yeah. (laughs) A horse, like, are they standing on the horses also and having, like, jack sparrow type fight custer is able to take out that general that that officer with a killing blow. so he wins the bat so he wins the the sword battle on horse yes he wins that too so now this is two confederates down that he's killed in enemy territory by him and one guy's army chopped off yes (laughs) custer is now surrounded by confederate horsemen who for no other reason other than the fog of war they don't attack him he literally should be dead right now. <laughs> he literally should be dead. He is able to ride away through the dust and the smoke during the fight. I think he ends up blaming, like, apparently there's something called, like, a southern slouch on a horse. Like, he was riding the horse like a southern man, which isn't true. It was a fight. I know he's, not, I know he's in a union uniform, but, hey, he rides like us. He's got to be. He's like. He's a spy is what he is. All I can picture right now is like in the cartoons and stuff when a whole bunch of people dogpile someone and they crawl out and everyone's yeah. still fighting. That like, is what? That is quite, I feel like that's quite literally what happened here is everyone is so confused. Like there's so much action going on that Custer is just able to like hack and slash and like just, just leave. Yet another instance of that's not how that should end. 
you should be dead, sir. You should be dead so long ago. He can just not get that coin. Or that coin flip is just, he's three for three, four for four by now. That puppy keeps hitting. That's heads up. Keep going. Yet another commander for the Union offer. This time, it's George Meade. Meade promotes Pleasanton, again, who is Custer's mentor at this point, who then meets with Custer, who Custer fully expects to be promoted, likely to be captain. However, Pleasanton does promote Custer, but it's not captain. It's Brigadier General of Volunteers and is given command of the Michigan Infantry and is 23 years old and is the youngest general in the army. Oh, no. I, I want to know what Custer said to that. He, it was just a high-pitched scream. Like, I don't even... Was, I don't know what he said, but everyone heard him say it. <laughs> if you thought he took a long time buying his sash before... <laughs> to the sash store! To the sashes! We need these sashes! You won't be surprised that Custer is not surprised he got promoted to general, just that it happened as fast as he did. But he did have a uniform in mind, because the Union general officer uniform, it's fine, but he has his own ideas. And is almost immediately, it's like he gets the promotion, and it's like he rips off his captain's uniform, his lieutenant uniform, and there's the general uniform, just right underneath it like Superman. Uh, and he's soon seeing around wearing it around camp. Apparently, uh, some of the other officers were not not quite as impressed. So he was a lieutenant, and then he got promoted to a general? Brigadier General of the Volunteers. Oh, of the Volunteers. Yes. That was his volunteer rank. Yes. I was going to say. But he's still part of the main army. But it's still part of the army. It is still, he is still has the title of general at 23. Right. But I was going to say, I love how they skipped about nine ranks. Yeah, is that what it is? Because I'm not, I'm not much of a military guy, but yeah, it went from like <laughs> pretty good. So Custer, I think, he, I think I just said it he would be six. It would be six. Okay. Ranks. Now in the now in the, in today's times, right? Quite the promotion. In July 1863, the most famous battle to ever fight on American soil takes place at Gettysburg. Custer, from as a result of this battle, will become a national hero for the fight. For Robert E. Lee, this is one of the few offensive movements that he takes during the war. During most of the fighting in the Civil War, it happens in Southern Territory. Lee, this time, comes north to show you how confident he was in his fighting ability. And to be honest, Robert E. Lee is running circles around anyone Lincoln puts in front of him. We won't go into details of it, but just know they are getting embarrassed by Robert E. Lee. McClellan didn't. Yeah, McClellan probably still thinks he's winning in whatever delusion he's in. In Gettysburg, he no longer knows the terrain, which is a distinct advantage to have when he's in the South. All of his men know the cutoffs, the drop-offs, all of those skills thing. He takes his army of 75,000 and heads off to Chancellorsville to face off against Meade. So when we get to Gettysburg, we're only going to be focusing on day three, which is where Custer really comes in. Custer is in charge of about 2,000 men and is sitting on a Confederate flank. Robert E. Lee's battle plan is to ambush the Union with everything he had in hopes to break the Union line. 
a lot of this came down to an attack that James Longstreet was going to be able to do on Cemetery Hill, who would then force the Union lines to fall back into a retreat where another attack would be led by Jeb Stewart. If that made sense, Robert E. Lee, depending on Longstreet, to attack, push troops back, and they're going to lead into another ambush. Custer arrived at an intersection at a couple miles outside Gettysburg and is joined by David Gregg. Custer sends out scouts to inspect a wooded area, and, it's, and around noon, Custer hears a shot, which was actually Jeb Stewart's signal to Robert E. Lee that he was in possession, that he was in position, and he was not detected. And if Custer and his men didn't hear that cannon shot, he would have been. Greg receives orders telling to move Custer to protect the Union right. Greg, however, had just sent out a large section of his men uh, who had just heard the cannon fire. Greg and Custer agree that they can't afford to move the, the men anywhere and that they would need every man of their 2,700 in their command. So essentially, they're breaking orders because they think that there's something big is going down in that tree line. It turns out they were correct, and inside that tree line was 6,000 Confederates. So they're down two to, over 2 to 1. They just don't no. know it yet. Which is funny because in an earlier battle, the North had way more than the yes. South. Well, this is also a section. So this is a tremendous battle, like multiple days, like thousands and thousands and thousands of men. Custer, again, he's cavalry. So cavalry, you don't always just, obviously the, the romantic version is always the cavalry chart. Essentially, when you're cavalry, you sit there and you look at the battlefield and wait your orders to attack. From behind, right? You're like behind, behind the infantry. Yes. And then once you see a line break, you go in, basically you know, take up. care of business. Um, or you look and see, okay, they're breaking, go do reinforcements. So Custer is able to just sit back and watch. He holds still, even as the Union infantry battles takes on uh, the Confederate Jeb Stewart's line. The Union holds the line, forcing Stewart's order, is forcing Jeb Stewart to order in artillery. Watching, Custer again orders that the an artillery strike of his own on the Confederate guns. It works just as the Confederate guns are being destroyed. In the meantime, the attack on Cemetery Hill is going well. Longstreet is about to push Union soldiers back. They're, all they need now for the Confederates is Jeb Stewart to be in place for that ambush and take out Union lines. Should Custer and Greg not have seen that cannon shot, Stewart would just be ready and waiting. The Union are holding up their line at this point. But the Union is also running low on ammunition. And they're soon going to be forced to retreat. Custer, looking on, realizes this and orders his men to get off of their horses and march towards an assist. Stuart counters by sending in his own cavalry. And this is what Colt Custer has been waiting for. He orders his own regiment of 400 to enter a counterattack. And during which he screams, come on, you Wolverines, and quite literally leads the charge. Custer and his men are able to chase the Confederates back into a wooded fence, where again, Custer, in full go mode, screams again, come on, you Wolverines, and they charge towards the fence. 
And when both sides get to that fence, the, the collision is so violent that horses flip end over end, crushing riders between them. Jeez. So they're going full force. And it's like a it's like a car crash. They're just piling them up. Just the type of fight where you're just swinging and hoping you're hitting the enemy and not your friends. <laughs> like it is brutal, hard fighting. And by the way, at a critical point of the battle, like quite literally, if the union lines run into Jeb Stewart, that could be the end of it. Now, maybe not the end of the civil war, but this would be huge for the Confederates to take a, a Northern battle on the offense. It was during this fight that Stewart actually heard the Union Canyon open fire uh, on Pickett's Charge. With Pickett's Charge, if you don't remember, that's basically, or if you haven't heard, it's essentially George Pickett just kept sending men up a hill and just they kept getting slaughtered. Uh, Custer is they're going up a hill. Yes, they're going up. It it, honestly, it's one of the the biggest blunders that gets criticized. Like. It gets criticized again. I'm not a big civil. I'm not huge into the Civil War, but Pickett's Charge is just known for Pickett just kept sending up his men, and they kept getting killed, and he kept sending them all day long. That's just all he did. <laughs> so uh, Custer plays a, a role in that uh, by fighting off Stewart here, but doing so again heroically, like really good stuff, cost Custer. 257 men of the 400 this made up 90 of the total cavalry casualties in the battle custer's men made up 90 percent of them so he led him to slaughter yes but it helped the battle yes i mean it it was it's not like they died in vain no it was it was needed (laughs) so custer uh, becomes a national hero from this. Uh, he gains kind of the nickname of the boy general with the golden locks, which I'm sure he just loved. He ate that hook, line, and sinker. Just had to love it's it. all coming together. <laughs> He's looking at himself in the mirror. You did it. Yes, you did. Yes, you oh. did. Yes, you did. <laughs> you bad boy. You bad boy. You did it. <laughs> I mean, it looks like in this picture he does a side part. How many times do you think he parted it to the other side? Like, which way? Which way? Which way? Ooh, this looks good. No, this <laughs> looks even better. Have to get one more curl in there. <laughs> Robert Utley would describe Custer as quote Custer possessed a gift in combat leadership. He combined keen observation with an intuitive grasp on the meaning of what he saw. A cloud of dust behind a hill might indicate an enemy outflanking maneuver or a retreat. A great a flicker of a great cloud of men on a tree line might be a mere picket or a mass column preparing to charge. He sometimes guessed wrong, but more often than not, he judged right far more than most. He had a talent for choosing the correct course of action amid chaos. Just to be honest, uh, I might follow that guy. He's nuts, but like... Sounds like he knows what he's doing. To be able to pick out, this is the moment I need to go. Because like I would struggle with that. Like, I couldn't do cavalry. Like, I would, to be able to pick out the moment, okay, wait, 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 go. He had that skill of when to go, and he could pick that right button. 
now a bona fide war hero and celebrity, uh, Libby's father is like, okay, I guess you can marry my daughter. <laughs> so they get married. <laughs> so things are really looking up for Georgie. Libby, the two get married, and Libby is a genuine partner for Custer. Uh, we're kind of going back a little bit on the timeline, but her actions and social gatherings in Washington do Custer a tremendous amount of good. It isn't a coincidence that Custer is the youngest brigadier general in the army before Gettysburg. Libby would go and talk of his exploits to the most powerful men in Washington, including Abraham Lincoln. Ooh, so she's getting in the ear of the good old Prez. Yes. Who she was not a big fan of him and just quoted, described him as, quote, the gloomiest, most careworn looking man I ever saw. In which case you're like, you know what, Libby? He has a bit on his plate, you know. There's a thing going on. <laughs> Sorry if he doesn't look his best at the moment. She would then call him things like his highness or the prince of jokers in letters. She even had a small conversation with Lincoln after Gettysburg. Lincoln took her hand and said, so this is the young woman whose husband goes into a charge with a whoop and a shout. I'm told he won't be doing that anymore. Libby replied, I hope he will. Lincoln said, oh, well, then you must want to be a widow, I see. And then both of them are said to have laughed, probably so awkwardly. Such an <laughs> awkward laugh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Seriously, I do think of that. That was probably not an appropriate joke, Amy. Like, ugh, can you imagine? How awkward. Do you think Lincoln caught it? Like, he was like, oh, that was. That's as it was coming out of his mouth. Yeah, as it was coming out of his mouth. Shoot. Next, <laughs> get me out of here. Back to Custer. Things are starting to turn around for the Union. The revolving doors of General stops with Ulysses S. Grant. Robert or Ulysses S. Grant has a very simple plan. Do you want to know what it is? Win. Cor correct. How is he going to win? Uh, he's basically just going to punch Robert E. Lee in the face so many times. He's there are times, like in Cold Harbor, where Grant deservedly is called a butcher because he keeps ordering charge after charge despite no moving from Confederate lines. But what Grant is doing is what other generals either didn't want to do or didn't have the courage to do. Grant knows he has the numbers. Lee doesn't. Even if we lose 10,000 men apiece, it's going to hurt him more than it's going to hurt me. So keep going. Well, yeah, because they could lose 10 guys to two of theirs, but that's okay. I still have the percentage game, more. Yeah. The percentage game is in the union state. I'm going to, you're going to run out of men way before I am. Yes. That's exactly what the strategy is. And like I said, at cold Harbor, it's a, but like when the Confederates have good positioning, it's a slaughter. And even when the Confederates don't have it, it's still a slaughter. It just hurts the Confederates a little bit more. It's I really like keep in mind, I really like Grant. Like I he's one of my favorite people to talk about and cover. But um, so I but I do understand that. During the end of the Civil War, I can see why people don't like him. But what what rank is Grant at this point? Oh, he's at number one. Is he a four-star general? 
Not yet. Uh, I don't know how many stars he is at this point, but he is, he's the leader of the Potomac. He's commanding the, the army of the Potomac. McClellan's old job. Grant uh, himself is not a big fan of Custer. And if it wasn't for someone like Phil Sheridan, we haven't talked much about Phil Sheridan and we probably won't, but Phil Sheridan and Custer do have a pretty good relationship. And in fact, Sheridan is going to save Custer multiple times. But if it wasn't for Sheridan, Grant likely would have gotten rid of Custer. But I don't know if I necessarily believe that because Grant and Custer have one thing in common is that they both fight. And that's what Lincoln needs right now. I think Lincoln quite literally said that about Grant is I can't get rid of this man. He fights. Custer's the same way. And he does have a talent on the battlefield. I mean, you can hate someone, but still respect them for. It's like that kid on the basket, like the talent, the the best player on the bat on the basketball team that you know is so good that you just want to scream and strangle, and then he drops like thirty and like wins the game, and you're like, well, I guess this is okay. Like, you hate him because he's a ball hog, but you're still going to give him the ball, right? You're because like if if I need to trust someone to take a shot, I may as well trust him. At Yellow Tavern. Uh, in a battle, Custer scans the field himself and is able to drive the enemy back when his orders, he then orders a charge at full gallop as they hack their way through a line of artillery, which ultimately leads to a Union victory and the death of Jeb Stewart, a la from the previous battle uh, in Gettysburg, which Jeb Stewart uh, had a pretty good reputation for the Confederates, so that was a big win. On June 11, 1864, Custer under the command of Phil Sheridan heading towards Trevelyan Station, connects up with the main part of the army. Custer's orders are not to engage the enemy, but they get near Louisa Courthouse and they start taking fire. Custer holds his ground and is able to fend them off. In a curious move, Custer either realizes that there must be more fighting happening, but he doesn't tell Sheridan that he's going to break orders and actually head towards a place called Trevelyan Station, where it just, it seems just a bit unguarded. Custer now has access to approximately 800 prisoners, 90 wagons, and 1,500 horses, and it just looks too good not to pass up. Maybe halfway through, they should have realized, there's no one here stopping us from doing this. Oh, well, let's continue to take it, shall we? Meanwhile, you'll be shocked to know the Confederates in the process of cutting Custer off from Sheridan, the main body of the army. As Custer's men start to leave the station, they're ambushed. During the ensuing fight, Custer would be described as unmistakably excited in a fight that, honestly, he's quite screwed in. <laughs> like, this is not a thumbs up moment. As Custer orders his men to fire, they initially have to use the revolvers. And without the ability, and they hold their ground, without the ability to wait, Custer orders a counter charge. So he's outnumbered in an ambush, and he's charging them. <laughs> but not only is he sending men in a counter charge, he's riding back and forth between the men's position. Quote, Custer was everywhere. According to a Confederate, Custer was everywhere back and forth, constantly giving orders, reconnoitering fighting men in person. So he's he's doing everything he can in a bad situation. He is playing a game of poker, and he has a hand he can't fold. So he has to try to win with it. 
that same Confederate uh, would write, quote, sitting on his horse in the midst of his advance, platoons and near enough could be easily recognized by me. He encouraged and inspired his men by appealing as well by his example. He's just riding in between bullets whizzing by. When Alexander Pendleton uh, said what from the artillery says, General, we have taken out they have taken out one of my guns. Custer said, no, I will be damned if you have come on. And Custer said that they drove the Confederates away from the cannon. When the flag bearer calls out, General, they have killed me. Take the flag. Custer ripped it from its staff and shoved it in front of inside his uniform. Custer is able to hold them off for three hours. God. Being hit by at least two spent bullets that hit him in the shoulder and the arm that only leave a bruise. Only when he sees his men fall from a horse, Custer still rides out to pick him up in the middle of the battlefield. A bullet grazes Custer in the head, only stunning him. (laughs) Unbelievable. Nothing says you should die more than this battle. But after three hours of fighting, Sheridan hears the gunfire and does come to Custer as soon as he can. He sends reinforcements to help. And with that, Custer is saved. 361 of his men, however, weren't so lucky and they were killed. When Sheridan asked Custer if the battle flag had been taken, Custer exclaimed, not by a damn sight, and then pulled out the flag from the front of his uniform and gave it to Sheridan. This was the largest all cavalry battle in the civil war and is eventually going to be called Custer's first stand. As 1864 turns into 1865 and as Grant continues punching Robert E. Lee in the face, (laughs) Custer is promoted by secretary of war, Edwin Stanton to major general and is a pretty big deal at this point. If we're being officer Stanton who is very, uh, we'll say, stringent on his uh, praise, says General Custer, a gallant officer, always makes gallant soldiers. Custer is said to have looked in Barris, and let me just call bull- <laughs> Um, Yeah, I wanted to bring this up, but I'm glad you said it. Okay, so here's how you remember if they're one, two, three, or four stars, okay? So uh-huh. it, it goes brigadier, major, lieutenant, and then general. But there's a little thing we say, be my little general. So if you say oh. that, whenever you say, like, if someone says, oh, I'm a major general, and you're like, well, what's that? For those of you that, you know, don't know ranks, you just go be my. So that's two. So he's a major general. So that's a two mm-hmm. star. And then a lieutenant general is three. And then a general general is four stars. Okay. Just throwing that out there for everyone. So if he says anything like, you know, brigadier, B, B, one, you know, so. One star. Okay. Cool. In April 1865, after a long season in Petersburg, Confederate lines break as Lee retreats to Appomattox Courthouse. Phil Sheridan is with Custer and they are about to attack Lee when Sheridan sees a Confederate officer rides towards them on April 9th and wanting to discuss a truce. Custer, impatient, rides ahead under his own flag of truce. God! 
we're gonna let uh we're gonna talk to uh we're just gonna hear from james longstreet who again custer under his own flag of truce is riding towards appomattox courthouse and custer goes up to james longstreet and says in the name of general sheridan i demand the unconditional surrender of this army (laughs) you will notice it says general sheridan and not general grant Mm. nice little touch there Mm. yeah interesting interesting longstreet uh said that he did not command the army of northern virginia uh there's a guy above me that does that i don't know if you've heard of him and longstreet would quote nor would he ever surrender it to sheridan custer was again within enemy lines without authority addressing a superior officer and disrespected general grant as well as myself (laughs) that is a direct quote from longstreet oh my god Custer calmed down when Longstreet told Custer that Lee would discuss surrender with Grant. (laughs) No, I won't surrender to you. That's for the big boys to decide. This isn't our talk. Like, what was he thinking? Like, for (laughs) real? He's thinking he's going to end this war. Yeah, um, here's the thing. I, I, I'm i not the person that can just say okay. Uh, that's above <laughs> my pay grade, so... I also like... So, in Custer's head, he can almost accurately say that he captured the first Confederate battle flag of the war and he demanded the surrender of the army at the end of it. He can almost accurately say that. God... <laughs> ridiculous is what it is <laughs> some bravado in this man it's like we're on our way to the courthouse Whoosh, not not if i get there first let's go <laughs> oh yeah i just have to go to the bathroom real quick uh i'll meet you uh, i'll meet you on the way <laughs> and then you just see him take off go around you know take off do you think as he's saying he's going to the bathroom, their hands are already in their head, their heads are already in their hands. Like we know what you're doing. I wonder if they're just like, I hope he dies. I mean, seriously, <laughs> so he's such a pain it. in the butt. They actually, they actually had to lower their rifles. Like, no, no, no guys. It's almost over. It's <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> you can take him prisoner. You can take him. <laughs> Unbearable. Um, There's one, one last little, little cherry on top of this. Uh, the two generals, Grant and Lee, meet at Appomattox Courthouse a couple days later. Custer is present during the surrender. Uh, Phil Sheridan actually gifts the table that the treaty was signed on to Custer. Because he deserves that. <laughs> yeah, he did so much. <laughs> uh, Custer is 25 at the end of the war, a national hero, and suddenly has no war to continue. I wonder how he will adapt. So, how do you feel about George Custer? <laughs> Good old Georgie boy, huh? I think he's so... It's... He's so impulsive. Yes. He is recklessly smart. Like, he he chooses... He knows when to go in and then gets incredibly lucky. But yeah, well, yeah, it's almost like he, yeah, he knows when to go. Like uh, he's super smart, but he almost, he goes in too reckless though. 
Like maybe if yes, they that, were to, maybe if he were to like uh, think it through a little more rather than just victory. See, I mean, I how many think, times did he go that, into battle in a losing situation? But how what, many three times? times? That situation, yeah, yeah, and then he didn't lose. He didn't lose. I think if you take that aggression away from him, though, none of those things happen. So I think like one leads into the other. Custer's luck is a result of him being incredibly lucky, but also. Um, he was smart. Like, I do feel like it's not just like you do get this. In, he's just like a shaking dog trying to like not like hold back all of his emotions when he's kind of picking his spots. It's just when he picks his spots, there is no going back. It's full bore. Do you think the um? Do you think like uh towards the end he started getting like too thinking he's greater than he is. And that's why he started being a little bit more, I would say, reckless. I think that was always there. I, I don't think that. Head into the courthouse. I think, well, because, no, because if you remember at the beginning, he rushed into a river just to prove how deep it was. And then, like, then he demanded the surrender of 50, con- and then he captured the first battle flag. Like, uh, I think it was always there. Now he gets more bold, like, as he obviously gains more experience, but. 25 and already part of a major victory. Yeah, major name. Now what? Like, he... I mean, it's not like they're going to go right into another war. A different kind of war. But I guess that is for next episode. Part two will be out, as Eric said, on the off week, which is a week from now. So you are being treated to three episodes in a row one per week it'll be part one part two and then the next episode crazy horse because we're going up to the battle of little bighorn on uh, june 26 so we'll do uh custer and then crazy horse and then sitting bowl will be come out on i believe june 28th is what i think it is i'm matt i'm eric we will see you next time all right so end part one please flip tape over for part two